Welcome to First Prairie United Methodist Church's podcast. This week we conclude our series on prayer, and here's Martha with our message. It's hard to believe that we have come to the end, or the fourth, I guess I should say, sermon in our prayer sermon series. And each Sunday in this series, we've been reading from a psalm, because the psalms in the Bible are often called the prayer book of the Bible. So what better place than to find some scriptures about prayer than the prayer book of the Bible? Today's psalm is Psalm 19. I invite you to hear these words. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've been focusing on the topic of prayer these past three weeks and four weeks today through a sermon series entitled Pray. Kind of appropriate. But the word pray in the title of the sermon series is actually an acronym. We started this series with the word pause, which is what the P stands for. And we challenged, well I guess I challenged you, to take five minutes, a whole five minutes, out of a 24-hour period to sit still and be silent. Some of you are probably thinking, knock that out. That's a practice that we're supposed to keep doing. And then we got to the next week, and we focused on the R, which stands for rejoice or adoration. And in that, you were tasked or challenged to, after you spend those five minutes of silence, to list or reflect on three things for which you are grateful to God, about God, or what God has done. And then the third week, thank you to Chuck for preaching last week, we focused on the A, which is ask, also supplication, which frankly is where most of us are pretty comfortable with our prayers. That's not a bad thing. 
But in, in last week, we also tasked you with adding on to the five minutes and then the three things of gratitude, three things for which you want to ask God to be with you on. Today we get to the end of our series on prayer and we talk about the why, not W-H-Y, but the letter Y. And that letter Y stands for yield. Yield does not mean stop. That is a phrase that I heard growing up when my mother was driving the car. We all know what it's like if we're merging into, Lynn's laughing, if we're merging into oncoming traffic from a ramp, there's a lot going on there, right? You 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who are driving, pay attention. There's a lot going on when you're trying to merge into oncoming traffic. You're gaining your own speed, trying to look and see about the oncoming traffic, gauging their speed, trying to, to speed up, slow down, and then you see an opening and you're planning to merge in only to glance forward to make sure the car in front of you sees that opening and they slam on the brakes. Anybody? When that happened, as I was growing up, and bless her, I think she's watching, my mother said, yield does not mean stop. So guess what I do when Jordan and I are in the car now? Yield does not mean stop. Stop. The temptation when we do a prayer series like this is to think that the only way, the only time to pray is when we stop. Now granted, I tasked you with taking those five minutes of stillness and being still, and there is absolutely a place for that. But the YIELD in the PRAY acronym offers us two insights. One, does have to do with timing, and one has to do with surrendering. Because the reality is most of us don't have time to stop and spend an inordinate amount of time in meditative and quiet and silence contemplative prayer. It's just not feasible for us to do that in our lives, nor do I think God wants us to do that all the time, because if we did, We'd never get the work of the mission done. We don't have time to stop all the time. So in some cases, it may be better to think about prayer in yielding in our time as we go throughout our day. We're hosting a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a study through our first Farragut Church Online Facebook group. It's a study written by an author named Pete Gregg. And in the book that he wrote about this study, Pete Gregg tells of a time when he met with Brennan Manning. And if ever you want to talk about contemplative prayer or think you've got it together, don't talk to Brennan Manning. He's the master. He's passed now, but he's the master when it comes to meditative and contemplative prayer. But Pete Gregg tells the story that he was, he was bragging about some things going on in his congregation of how they were trying to dedicate 24 hours a day, seven days a week into prayer. And that folks would sign up and pray for an hour at a time, that they would set aside an hour at a time to be in silent meditative prayer. And so Manning looks at Pete Gregg and he says, do you think that's enough? He said, how do you know when you've prayed enough? He said, there are 24 hours in a day. If a person spends one, what do you do with the other 23 hours a day? 
With all the things going on the world, going on in the world, he said, this was years ago and we could multiply it today. With all of the things going on in the world, how do you know that's enough? He said, it's not a matter of how much time you spend in silence. It's a matter of how much time you spend in God's presence. Very few of us can spend an inordinate amount of time in silence and prayer. But what we can do is yield to God's presence in the midst of the whole day. As we work, as we teach, as we learn, as we drive, which might help with some of us who are impatient drivers. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing, finding a rhythm within our day, throughout the day, to have a conscious occupation of our minds, focusing on the things of God. Which is where Psalm 19 and the second aspect of yield comes into play. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Psalms being are having certain classifications, that some are classified as lament psalms, which means they focus on grief and mourning and sadness. Some are classified as praise and thanksgiving psalms, which means they focus on praising God. There are other classifications, but one of which is also called Torah, which means instruction. They are psalms that focus on the instructions or the commandments of God. Psalm 19 is one of those psalms. And it teaches us that yielding isn't just about time spent in prayer. It's a complete surrender to God's ways. And we thought carving out time was difficult. The author of Psalm 19 had learned that living outside of the ways of God just isn't quite all it's cracked up to be. The psalm moves through three parts In the first section, the first six verses are recalling the beauty of creation, the perfect order of creation. The sun rises, the sun sets, the the sun lights the day, the moon lights the night, the seasons come like clockwork. Thankfully, fall does come. And the wind and the waves caused by gravity move the, the leaves. It's the beauty, it speaks of the beautifully crafted order of creation. And it attests to the goodness of God. And then the psalmist realizes that if creation is so beautiful and orderly, then the laws, the commandments of God, must be beautiful and orderly as well. And he goes on and he says, the law, the instruction, the commandments of God are good for reviving the soul, restoring life, good for giving wisdom. Funny thing though, all of those Laws, as we would call them in the Old Testament, begin like this. Do not, or thou shall not. We humans, regardless of our age, function a whole lot like toddlers. What does a toddler do when you tell a toddler not to do something? Let's defy you, and I see you're nodding. You tell a toddler not to do something, the first thing they do is do it. My mother used to play this game with my nephew when he was a toddler, and it was one of those trying to get him to eat his peas and carrots kind of thing, and she would say, don't you eat those peas, don't you eat those carrots. So what do you think he did? He ate the peas and the carrots, and he laughed. He's grown up now. 
not so cute things that you're not supposed to do when you do them as as a young adult. Not so cute. We are all guilty of the same thing. We have a tendency that when someone says don't do it, we want to do it. If God's ways are so good, why do we have trouble keeping them? The psalmist, the writer of Psalm 19, recognized that he and we have this trouble. So the next part, the final part of of the psalm goes into confession and repentance. He writes, by your laws I am warned. Who can hide from your ways? Clear me of my hidden faults. Keep me from proud ways. The psalmist pleads with God for forgiveness, forgiveness and guidance. If you have your Bibles, you will see that this psalm is classified as a psalm of David. Now, there's some debate as to whether that means David actually wrote the psalm or if, they, or if it was written around the time of David or what exactly that means. But David, regardless of whether he wrote this or not, David is one who knew the beauty of creation, King David. He is one who spent most of his young years and his young, young adult years outside as a shepherd. He knew the beauty of the stars. He knew the sun was going to come in the morning and heat the day. He knew the coolness would come at night. He had experienced firsthand the perfect order of creation. And then as a king, he also had been counseled in the ways of the laws of God, the commandments of God. But King David had also been confronted by those laws. He had also been confronted by those laws of his own sin, of adultery, of murder, of conspiring, of abuse of power, of even desecrating the holy tent at the time. The temple wasn't quite built yet. David knew the laws and had been confronted by them, confronted of his own sin. And as a result of his own sin, David experienced the consequences. He experienced the guilt of murder, the shame of his own behavior, even the loss of a child, the retribution and rage of his own children toward him. His own children tried to kill him. David knew what it was like to live outside of the goodness of God's law. Yet David, who had sinned so profusely, could say, Oh, but your law, O oh Lord, is good. Your guidance revives the soul. Your will makes one wise, and revering you, God, enlightens our minds. Why was David able to say those things? David knew that both David knew what it meant to both yield to his own passions, desires, pleasures, and wants. And he also knew what it meant to yield to God's ways, to the goodness of God. In the same way that we merge into oncoming traffic, yielding in prayer is the same thing. It's a way in which we merge our desires into God's desires, and God's desires become ours. The more time we spend in prayer with God, the more like God we become. 
The psalmist is speaking here of probably about 617 laws that we find in the Old Testament. That's a bit too much for us to remember, and thankfully Jesus took all of that and he summarized it into one commandment that we find in the New Testament that could be summarized by this. Love God and love your neighbor. Simple. It's very simple, but it's often difficult to put into practice. It's much easier to understand than it is to practice. And then you add to that, Jesus had the audacity to tell us to love our enemies. Which, by the way, is the next sermon series we're starting next week. Won't that be fun in an election season? But the more we yield to God's ways, the more our thoughts, our prayers, our actions resemble God's ways. Your soul is crying out for a deeper encounter with Jesus. I know this about your soul and your soul at home because mine is as well. If our faith is to thrive and not just survive in seasons of darkness and pain, if we are to know Jesus and be known by Jesus in a more fulfilling way, we must make space in our busy lives for prayer and communion with God. It is the only way. Probably the number one way, maybe not only. In which we become like God. Which we love and serve like Jesus. I don't need to tell you or recount all that's going on in the world today. You see it. You know it. It's time we stop worrying about our own desires and yield to God's ways. The world will change when we begin to merge completely with the ways of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to join us next week for our new series entitled Love Your Enemies, where we will learn who Jesus refers to as an enemy and what does it mean to love them. See you then.